Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, and welcome back to ETFs for Beginners, where we travel to the beat of a different ETF drummer. I'm Phil Muscatello, and may I introduce Anna Christina, who in turn will introduce today's guest. Hello, Anna. Hi. How are you doing today, Phil? Good, good. Now that we've got the technical difficulties out of the way, but listeners don't need to know that. We're just perfect as always. Tell us about today's guest. Perfect. We're ready to kick it off. We have Steve Mab. Steve is a successful entrepreneur, and in 2007, he helped develop and launch Vionic Footwear brand with his business partner in the U.S., which went on to become a top 20 brand and was subsequently sold to a large U.S. listed company in 2018. He then returned to Queensland with his young family to become a full-time committed investor and quickly joined the Australian Shareholders Association after discovering the many benefits it could offer. He's quickly risen to the top and is chair of the board of the ASA. So welcome, Steve. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Anna. Yeah, my pleasure. Really looking forward to the the conversation and uh, catching up with Phil and and meeting you for the first time. Yeah, beautiful. Well, usually we kick it off and we ask people a little bit about their background and how they got to where they were or where they are today. Can you just tell us a little bit about your journey? Yeah, look, very briefly, my journey kind of started in in footwear and um, eventually uh, myself and a couple of other Aussie guys created a a brand called Vionic that you mentioned in the intro. We moved over to the US, I think it was in 2007, to try and, uh, you know, develop and and build up the brand there. And uh, yeah, had a really great uh, 11 or 12 year run, I think it was, where we, we basically, you know, built the brand up into one of the top 20 footwear brands in America. And then in 2018, we had the opportunity to to sell the brand to one of the big publicly listed footwear companies over there. So um, so the brand's still growing and going and it's a great brand. But I took that opportunity in 2018 to kind of exit the business formally and, and move back to Australia. And I've been essentially investing with most of my time ever since. So uh, yeah, learning a lot and um, have joined, you know, the Australian Shareholders Association, as you mentioned, I've learned a lot there. And over time, kind of, you know, found my way onto the board and now very recently into the chair's role of the board. So that's where I met Phil. And, um, you know, we've had lots of good chats over the years about all things ASA. And I'm still, you know, enjoying being part of the group, of course, and, uh, and learning things all the time. Beautiful. Well, before we jump into investing, because I have a bunch of questions there, I want to know, do you still wear Vionic footwear? I do. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) uh, And I'm not just saying that. No, Vionic has, um, it's a brand that's got really great arch support and kind of foot support built into every style that they do. And I've got very high arches, so I love it. I don't think I'll ever stop wearing Vionic. It suits my feet really well. Oh, beautiful. I'm a barefoot um, shoe wearer, if that, if okay. that makes sense. Yeah, so, so I'll have to I'll have to check out Vionic. Yeah, um, give it a look. <laughs> so I'd love to hear your investing journey. Where did you kind of start from and how did you get to where you are now being on the board? Yeah, look, my wife and I kind of when we first met were property investors and we were, you know, kind of investing our spare cash or the in- extra income or savings that we were able to generate into residential property. And I didn't really do much in the share market. I 
I did get a tip way back in the day for some, you know, small company that uh, someone in our office was talking about and I invested a little bit into that and, you know, I think within six months the company had gone bankrupt. So that kind of warned me off shares and I was like, oh, this share thing's a bit scary. I, I think I'll just stick to, you know, residential properties. But, yeah, once we sold the business and I'd obviously, you know, had super along the way and kind of, you know, seen what had been happening with the share portfolio in my super account, et cetera, I thought maybe I need to learn a bit more and understand what, uh, you know, what the share market it's all about. So I've really spent the last probably six or seven years, you know, learning as much as I can, reading as much as I can, you know, talking to other smart investors like Phil and lots of the members of the ASA that uh, that do this more regularly and, and for a longer period of time than I have. And yeah, I uh, have learned a lot along the way, uh, you know, both good and bad. I think all investors, even the best investors in the world, make a lot of mistakes. I think, uh, you know, the Warren Buffetts of the world regularly talk about all the mistakes they've made. So I think it's important not to beat yourself up too much, that you're going to make a few mistakes along the way. And and that's kind of part of the process. None of us are going to get it right all the time. Mistakes are absolutely part of the journey, right? That's how we learn. Absolutely. How did you get involved with the ASA? Yeah, so I... um. I've been an ETF investor for you know pretty much the whole journey, and uh, one of the ETF providers that I invested with BetaShares was having a participating in an ETF day in Brisbane and, and a number of other capital cities where I I live in Brisbane, and uh, I went along to it not realizing that it was actually an ASA event and not a BetaShares event. So uh, you know I got a chance to talk to some of the ASA members that were there and kind of find out a little bit more about it. And it sounded like, you know, the ideal kind of thing for someone that was serious or, you know, regularly investing in shares. So I joined up straight away and, uh, you know, started going along to lots of member meetings and reading the magazine and, you know, talking within the ASA community and and figured out that, you know, there's a lot of wisdom and experience and knowledge there that I could learn from. So, uh, yeah, it's probably four or five years ago, I think I joined. And then I, uh, I joined the board two years ago and then became the chair uh, in March of this year when our previous long-standing chair retired. So, uh, so yeah, a bit of a fast-track journey. Didn't have any ambition to do all of that, but, you know, I love what the ASA stands for and, and what the cause is all about, trying to help, you know, regular investors in their investing journey and make sure that they're getting a fair deal and a fair go from the companies and uh, the regulators and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's been a, a very fast and, and quick ride over the last four or five years, but still enjoying it and I'm sure I'll be doing it for a long time to come. And without uh, making a shameless plug for the association, <laughs> let me just say that those member meetings are fantastic. It's just incredible to be talking with a bunch of such engaged investors who can talk about a company, they can talk about the CEO of that company, they can talk about all the other companies that that CEO was in charge of and whether they, they did a good job or not. And the the actual historical knowledge that is there is it's vast, isn't it, Steve? Oh, it is, absolutely. And, and one of the other things I've learned is there's lots of different ways to to invest in the market too, because it certainly isn't just one way that all the ASA members invest or you know manage their share portfolios. There's lots of different techniques and lots of different uh, styles and lots of different processes that I've learned, and and you know lots of different ways that it can work. So uh, that's one of the other things I've taken away that uh, you need to find something that works for you and works for your personality. There isn't just one way to do it, and that's a great part of being involved in the community. You kind of learn that along the way. Yep. So it's almost two years to the day that you were on Shares for Beginners, and we spoke about the ETFs in your portfolio. Now, I've only got a quick note of some of them. There was uh, VAE, Asia, CNU, Cybersecurity, Hack, and 
I think what we were talking about is that you wanted to gain some sort of international and sector diversification through the ETF. So do you remember these ETFs and do you remember how they're going? I do, yeah. It's amazing that it's been two years. Time's really flown. But yeah, absolutely. I'm still, you know, investing in ETFs. And I think, you know, one of the main reasons was that I was fortunate with my business career to get exposure to, you know, lots of different parts of the world, you know, living in America for a decade and and building our brand in Europe and parts of Asia. I saw that, you know, the world's a pretty big place and uh, there's lots of, you know, great opportunities and great companies outside Australia as well. So it was really that, I think, personal experience that led me to be interested in, you know, having some of my portfolio invested internationally. And it seems to me that, you know, ETFs are a fantastic way to do that as an Aussie. You've got all these ETFs listed on the ASX that, uh, you know, just with the click of a few buttons, you can, uh, you know, buy little pieces of, of those companies in other parts of the world using an ETF. So, uh, so yeah, I'm still investing in most of those ETFs, Phil. I've, you know, got a lot of Australian, well, not a lot, but I own some direct Australian companies. I'm not using ETFs so much to buy in Australia because I buy individual companies at the moment in Australia. But uh, yeah, I still have Asia, which is the top 50 tech companies in Asia. How's that working out? Well, it's been a rough last 12 months. Yeah, it was going really well. Bit of a dog. It has been, yeah. It's, it's down a lot. But I've actually added some more because one of the things I have learned even investing in ETFs is that there's times when they're cheap historically and there's times when they're more expensive historically. You know, the basket of stocks that they might might hold within them, the ETF providers are very good at providing fact sheets that you can kind of see what price or multiple those companies are trading at. So, for example, Asia and CNEW, I had a, a look this morning. At the moment, Asia is trading on about 15 times the earnings of the companies within it. And CNEW, which is the China new economy companies, about 100 companies in that one, I think they're all domestic Chinese companies, that's trading on about 14 times earnings, which is a lot lower than it was a year or two ago. But historically, it's quite cheap. If you go back and look at the last 20 years of what the Chinese or the Asian stock markets have have traded on, they've regularly been higher than that. So when I look at it, it looks to me like I'm getting those companies today for a, you know, a better or a lower price than average over the last 20 years ago. And it's a little bit different in the US. So the US ETFs, which you know I did hold back then, NASDAQ and the S&P 500, even after the last you know few months of things getting a bit cheaper over there, they're still pretty expensive historically. So, so I sold my NASDAQ and my S&P ETFs last year, but I've held on to the, to the Asia ones just because I think they still look like there's a lot of growth potentially in those companies in that part of the world, and I'm getting it today for a better price than uh, you know the average or the history's been over the last 10 or 20 years. And how about the cybersecurity? Are you still in the hack ETF? No, I sold the hack one for the same reasons last year. As of April, it's trading on about 36 times earnings, the forward earnings for the companies within hack. So I still like the idea, the idea of holding you know some of the best companies in the world that help prevent or you know combat cybersecurity problems for companies and governments. It's a really good long-term idea, I think, but it's on 36 times earnings at the moment, where, as I mentioned, the Asia, the top 50 tech companies in Asia, you can get for about 15 times earnings at the moment. So really almost a third of the price you're paying for the, not that it's exactly the same, but you know they're both technology-exposed companies in both those ETFs. So look, I could be completely wrong, 
the US and hack and all those kind of things could, could just, you know, turn around and keep going up again from here. And I certainly wouldn't say that I wouldn't own US ETFs again, but based on the various prices that they're trading on at the moment, the Asian ones still look like better value to me. So I've, I've held on to them and, you know, kind of intend to keep holding them for the long term. Steve, I've got a question for you. So because we're called ETFs for beginners and for any beginner that's listening out there and hears that you're saying 15 or 30 times the earnings, can you just kind of define or explain what that actually means? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you might have heard the term PE or price to earnings ratio, that kind of thing. That's a really common way a lot of investors in the the share market look at, you know, what price they're paying for a company or an ETF. So, so if you think about it this way, let's say, you know, a company generated a million dollars worth of profit for the year and to buy the whole company or every share of the company on the market, you'd have to pay $15 million. So that's 15 times earnings or a 15 times PE, for example. Basically, you know, you'd have to pay 15 times this year's profit to buy every share of the company at the current share price. And it's the same for ETFs. You know, an ETF that holds companies or stocks within it, you can work it out the same way. The 50 companies that are in the Asia ETF, for example, if you pull together all of their profit for the, the last 12 months, and then look at the share price that they're all trading for collectively and average all those out or you know divide all those out that'll tell you how much you're paying for every dollar of profit that those 50 companies in the Asia ETF are trading for at the moment so it's a nice way or an easy way just to get a quick idea of how many times current one year's profits you'd have to pay to buy all of the shares or the whole company kind of thing if that makes sense Yeah, that's a great explanation. And when it comes to that, for anyone who is a beginner, what are the other things that you would suggest someone takes a look at when they're buying a company or an ETF? Yeah, well, I think the other thing to look at in my mind is how much those companies are growing. So how much are they growing their profits each year? And again, most of the ETF providers will have that on the fact sheet. So if you just go and Google ASX hack or ASX Asia, You'll find the website from the ETF provider and you can click on that and then they'll have a fact sheet where they tell you at the end of every month those kind of things. So so you can see pretty quickly how fast have the earnings or the profits been growing for the 50 companies in the Asia ETF over the last 12 months versus how fast are the profits growing for the, the companies that are in Hack or the companies that are in the NASDAQ 100 or whichever ETF you're looking at. So I like to look at that as well. I like to look at, all right, you know, maybe one's growing a lot faster than the other. So maybe it is worth paying a bit more for that, for example. But yeah, these things are all relative, you know, different parts of the world grow at different rates, individual companies might have hiccups or windfalls or, you know, whatever along the way, and the growth rates can change a little bit from one year to the next. But I like to think about it kind of long term and big picture. So if I'm paying a lot less for the same or a higher rate of growth in one ETF over the other, then long term, I'm probably going to do pretty well if that stays that way long term. If those companies in that ETF grow a lot faster than than the companies in another ETF and the price is the same or maybe even cheaper, that just gives you a little bit more of a, a buffer or a, a margin of safety, as Buffett might call it. Now, that's very helpful. I think we often talk about risk profiles or diversification, but we haven't had the opportunity to have anyone on the show that actually talks about looking at that specifically. So it's great to hear a different way of being able to see what your holdings are, how they're growing, and um, and how that could complement your portfolio. 
Yeah, and look, when I started out investing in ETFs, I didn't really look at that. I just looked at, all right, you know, here's what's in this ETF and it sounds like a great long-term idea and I'll just buy that and, and set and forget or not worry about it. And, that, and that's fine. That's still a great way to invest. If you, you know, buy the US ETFs and just hold them for the next 10 or 20 years, history says you're probably going to do pretty well. There might be bumps and ups and downs, or there will be, you know, bumps and ups and downs along the way. Um, but I'm trying to get a little bit more tactical or a little bit, you know, more um, outperformance, I suppose, these days by weighing up the different prices or, you know, the relative cheapness or, or expensiveness of the different options. So, you know, that's maybe the next level on the ladder. The first step is just to get started and and actually, you know, put your foot in the in the game or you get some money invested and kind of, you know, learn along the way. But the next step can be to start to reassess or dig into relative value, if you like. So maybe that's the second step for people to think. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And that's really important to start learning about uh, your investing style and going to the fact sheets. If you've just arriving for the first time and you've got no idea about what's going on you're not going to understand a lot about what's going on those fact sheets but this is a bit of a long-term process and it's i'll just commend listeners to actually go to those fact sheets and use that as a way of learning about what you're actually investing in because otherwise you just you prey to marketers in this space yeah, absolutely. And one of the, one of the things you can do, I've found quite helpful, is to sign up for the newsletters or the webinars of the ETF providers. So if you're interested in Asia or you're interested in the Nasdaq, you can go to that ETF provider's website and sign up for their newsletter. And most of them have a monthly or a weekly email and newsletter that they send out. And they'll invite you to participate in their monthly updates or their monthly webinars a lot of the time where they'll have their chief economist or their chief investment person that's giving you an update on what's happening with the Asia ETF and what's happening with the companies in it and what's happening with the prices. So that's a free and easy way to kind of, now, you know, of course, they might be biased because they're providing that ETF at times, but they still, you know, most of the time going to provide a lot of independent or economist or or even you know bureau of statistics provided information that's pretty independent so you can you can get a good feel or a better understanding over time of you know what it is that you own and how it's tracking and how those economies or how those companies are performing at the moment so that's a great way i think to learn is to just sign up at the providers websites if you're interested in their their newsletters and you know tune into their webinars and all that kind of stuff have you found ASA members are moving more towards ETFs these days? Because ASA has traditionally been about buying directly shares in the share market. Is there more interest there? Are you noticing that? Or are they still hardcore individual company investors? Yeah, look, it's a big community. So there's certainly people in, in both camps. But I have noticed there's more ASA investors as each year goes by that that are taking an interest or starting to dip their toe into ETFs. And, and especially, again, with the theme or the international ideas, there's 
there's probably less interest from ASA members in just a vanilla Australian All Lords or ASX 200 type ETF because they a lot of the members are picking their own stocks in Australia. But yeah, the idea of you know buying a, you know a technology ETF or a clean energy ETF or a electric vehicle ETF or just a, a different part of the world that is definitely appealing to more and more ASA members. I've I've been noticing. Yeah, and obviously a lot of the ASA members are getting close to retirement age or retired. So they've been investing a traditional way for a long time. Um, and the, the whole ETF world is a bit newer to them sometimes. But I certainly find the working age folks and, you know, kids and stuff that I talk to, when I say kids, my kids, you know, my kids invest a little bit of their pocket money into ETFs using the, the Comsec Pocket app. Don't have any affiliation with that, but it's a really good low-cost way for, you know, people without a lot of money to get started in ETFs, I've found. So my kids use that to, you know, put a little bit of their birthday money or their pocket money sometimes into into one of the ETFs on there. So yeah, I find it's a it's a little bit easier or, you know, faster for for younger working folks to get their heads around ETFs. Yeah, I definitely think ETFs are talked about much more in the younger crowd and <laughs> it makes it a little bit easier to start investing without feeling like you're putting all your eggs in one basket. Um, exactly. And I a love- lot faster too, Anna. I think that's the other thing I'd say. You don't have to go and do all the research that you should, probably should do if you're buying individual stocks, right? You can just you know buy a basket of stocks in an ETF and uh, and then not worry about it too much. So yeah, I think it's it's faster and easier if you're, you're working or you're studying and you don't have a lot of time to to dig into individual companies. It's also quite disheartening when you see one company dip so much. And <laughs> I, I know that that was my experience as well. Yeah. Being like, oh, ETFs feel a little bit less volatile than um, buying individual companies. That's right. Yeah. I mean, the ones that track an index, which, you know, a lot of them still do, well, it may not necessarily be the really broad indexes, but, you know, whatever index or rules, if you like, that a lot of ETFs are bound to, they worry about all that stuff for you, right? As you said, if one company dives and does really badly, then that'll disappear out of the index and the up and coming company that's going the opposite way will come in. So as an individual investor, you don't have to worry about that stuff. You just let the ETF provider, you know, make the changes each quarter or each year or however often that they update it. So you did say there was a little bit of a shift of people talking about ETFs at the ASA. I know Phil has talked about the ASA, you are as well. If I wanted to get involved as someone who has no clue what to expect, how would I go about that? Or is it an exclusive kind of space? One of the best ways is just to have a look on the website first, mm-hmm. which is australiansharehold.com.au. So there's lots of great info on there about you know what it's all about and the things that we do. We also have a lot of member meetings around the country. So most of the, the capital cities and, and some of the bigger regional areas will have a, a monthly meeting that anyone's welcome to attend. You can come along as a guest or, or a first timer for free normally and, uh, and see what it's all about. And then from there, if you know, if you find it, it might be interesting or helpful, or you'll get some good support and uh, and good information to help you on your journey, then you can join up on the website, or uh, you know, there's still paper forms as well if you really want to do that, and become part of the community. So uh, yeah, not hard to join, not hard to check us out on the website, and if there's a meeting near near you, you're welcome to come along to that as well and uh, and try us out. And what can someone expect at one of these meetings? Yeah, so most of the meetings are all held by volunteers. So there'll be a a local member that's, you know, running the meeting and they'll basically organise throughout the year a range of different speakers to come along each month and talk on different topics. Sometimes it might be a member presentation where someone in the group that's really, you know, knowledgeable or smart on a certain topic will present to the rest of the members. 
a lot of the time it's a it's a fund manager or an ETF provider or an economist or someone like that that's an expert in in a certain area of the investing world that'll come and present on their particular topic or, or area of interest. And then there'll always be a Q&A section normally at the end where, you know, members can then ask all the tough questions that they want to know from the, the so-called expert. And most of the time, the meetings are one or two hours long. So uh, not a huge time commitment, but a great way to, you know, to learn learn along the way and, and get some new ideas every month or some, some things that you may not have thought about every month from either other members or experts. So there's hope for me to be a chairperson on the board eventually one day. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole board is is volunteers, basically, and about half the board are members. So we're, we're always, you know, encouraging people to take on a volunteering role. A lot of people start out running a meeting and then they like that, or they might start out as a company monitor, which is where we, we go along and meet with companies and try and, you know, dig into how they're looking after their retail shareholders and what they're putting to their retail shareholders to vote on. So a lot of people will volunteer to do that kind of work. And and then, you know, you might start running a state one day if that's something you wanted to do, or you might, you know, try and come on the board or join the board if uh, if that's something that you want to do. So yeah, lots of ways to to get involved and, and make a difference and uh, add whatever skills you can to the various areas of what we do. So you're authorised to give us a an offer for new members at the moment. Tell us about that, Steve. Absolutely. Look, the boss has gone crazy here, Phil. So we, um... <laughs> it's a run out. There's knives with us. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. So, yeah, we've organised a great offer for all listeners of ETS for Beginners where you can actually uh, sign up for free for 12 months to try out ASA. So, uh, so basically, we'll give you a complimentary 12-month membership. And for that, you can basically participate in all the meetings, receive the monthly magazine, the online version of the magazine, come along to various events that we hold at discounted rates if that's something you want to attend. So, yeah, basically, it's a great deal. I think, to try out the ASA for free for 12 months. And after 12 months, if you love it and you want to be part of the organization going forward, you can, uh, you know, sign up and pay your fees like everyone else does. Or if not, you know, no obligation, you don't have to renew. So, uh, so yeah, we thought it was a great way for your listeners to try out ASA and see if it might be helpful in their journey. Is there a promo code? So the promo code is ETF, so ETFS22. And if you go to the website, use that code, to check out, you'll get 12 months free membership, which is valued, I think, at about 145 bucks for the year. And that deal's available till the end of 2022. Okay, so we're just about to run out of time. So we just wanted to just go over one subject matter. And that's about the work that ASA does on behalf of retail shareholders and about proxies. Now, unfortunately, if you hold ETFs, you don't get to vote in AGMs. Should any of listeners have individual shares, and they get that letter about the annual general meeting and that there's a proxy form in there, how should they consider ASA in this dynamic? Yeah, well, look, if you do hold any individual shares and you get those forms or you get those emails asking you for your vote, I mean, ideally, you would have a look at all that information and vote yourself based on what you think is the right thing for you as a shareholder. But we know a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people, you know, throw the letters in the in the bin or, or disregard the emails. So if you're in that camp, which a lot of people are, another alternative is to allocate your votes or your proxies for each of your shares that you get a vote for that you own to the ASA. So what happens there is you can write in on the form or on the email on the website Australian Shareholders Association when you can nominate as your proxy 
And the ASA will then go along and vote your shares based on what we think is in the best interests of retail shareholders. So if you're a member, you can actually look at what that would be. You know, we have on our website a report before the AGM that says, here's how we're voting on all these things for this company and why. And we're always thinking through it in terms of what's fair or reasonable for normal, regular retail shareholders on these particular issues with the company. I'm not going to say we get it right all the time or it's always perfect. There's there's shades of grey and sometimes people might see these things differently. But for the most part, we're always trying to do the right thing and and the best thing for retail shareholders when we vote. And that's something that you can do each and every meeting or you can allocate your proxies permanently to the ASA if you send off a different form to the to the registry. And we can help you all with all of this. If you join up and, and you want help or assistance on how to do this, there's always someone there or you can also look on the website for how to do it. But I think it's a much better idea than just throwing your your voting rights in the bin personally. If you're not going to vote them, then ideally allocate them to someone you trust like the ASA who's hopefully and you know regularly representing you rather than just leaving your votes to the chair of the meeting. It's a great way of wielding power, isn't it? Immense power in the share market. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, the big institutions and the big super funds, they've always got a lot more power or voting, I suppose, than we do. But most of the time, the ASA is somewhere in the top 20 shareholders as a collective. So when there's a close vote, Sometimes the ASA voting power with all of the retail shareholders, you know, that are getting together and allocating their proxies or their votes to ASA is enough to move the vote one way or another. So I'm not going to say it happens all the time, but on close votes, because we're typically roughly in that top 20 shareholders list, we can sometimes, you know, impact or, or affect the vote one way or another. Fantastic. I'm very excited to check out the ASA. And Steve, it was such a pleasure learning so much from you. So thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. I really appreciate the time and the chance to talk about all those things. And uh, yeah, keep up the great work. I think what you're doing is fantastic and, uh, and really helpful for those people out there that are getting started on their journey with ETFs. Beautiful. And if people want any more information, where do they check it out? So again, australiansharehold.com.au, that's the website. And as I said, there's tons of information on there or even better, use the promo code we just talked about to sign up and try us out for free for 12 months. And that'll be in the show notes. Fantastic. Much appreciated. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend. It may help them and help us keep going with the show. Also, don't forget to rate us. ETFs for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not ETFs for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances, or current situation. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.